Well, as many of you know, probably aware, uh, I, I have a fascination with military history. And uh, one of the things that always, if I'm reading a book, that always strikes me and is always interesting to me is how men will, in the military, will execute orders, um, just whatever they might be. Even if they're sending them into incredible harm and danger, uh, they just will, uh, will, they'll just do it. Uh, they're told to do it, they go. Uh, and, and even sometimes when they, have, when they don't even agree with the order, they think it's a bad order, uh, yet they just go anyway. Or sometimes they'll do it without really seeing the big picture at all. They really don't know what the large picture is here. They're just told to go do this one thing. It's going to be really dangerous, and they'll just do it. They just do it because they're told. The superior, superior gave them the order, so off they go, and they, they go to get it done. Well, the, the Church of, of Jesus Christ... Likewise, we've been given a mission. We have orders, if you will, uh, for what we're to do. We've been given a, a message to proclaim to the world. And it's amazing to me how sometimes people feel a freedom to change or to adapt that, that order, that message, that mission. So uh, there, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. It was a back and forth don't worry, it was private uh, on Facebook, uh, but a private back and forth. Um, and I was just trying to explain to this guy, uh, he's a professor to be a Christian, just that you know, the reason we talk about sin is, is to try to help unbelievers see their condition before God and their need for forgiveness, their need to be made right. So we, we want to talk about sin so that people will, will understand that they fall short of God's glory and then want the remedy, will want... And, and see the beauty of Christ and his uh, salvation that he offers. And that this is part of our mandate, what we're supposed to do as churches and as Christians. And so, as I'm trying to make this case, um, he said something to the effect of, well, all I know is that I'm called to just love people. So, in other words, you know, that order doesn't sit well with me. And so, uh, I'm going to just love people in a way that I will define what that looks like. And uh, I'm not going to press the issue of sin and repentance. So just a, a willingness to, uh, to alter the mission, alter the message that we've been given. The reality is we're not at liberty. We're not at liberty to do that, to change our orders. Any more than a soldier can just do whatever he wants on the battlefield, uh, we're not allowed to just make this up as we go with what we're going to be about as a church. The church, every church has been given a mission from the Lord Jesus himself. And today, as we come to Luke chapter 9, we're looking at a passage in which Jesus sends out the twelve, the, the apostles. He sends them out on a mission. And it's a mission that foreshadows the later mission that would come, what is known as the Great Commission, which we find at the end of Matthew 28, uh, you know, where Jesus commissions his disciples to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded. That's known as the Great Commission. It's something that falls to all the churches. Uh, that's, that is our mission, to go do that, to make disciples. And, and what's happening here in, in chapter 9 is a, is, a, is a mission that's a temporary one that's uh, sending out these 12, these apostles. So... It's a precursor, if you will, to the great commission that's going to come later. So it's where these apostles, these 12 men, uh, 11 of whom will stick around till after the, uh, uh, the resurrection, of course, Judas, uh, 
is no longer around at that point, and Mattathias takes his place, Paul gets added to the number, but these 12, these, these men who are foundational to the New Testament and to the, uh, the Christian church, this is where they uh, get their feet wet, so to speak, uh, in what would later be the consuming passion of their lives, going out and proclaiming Christ and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And this is where they first really do this. Now, one of the, the challenges, if we're reading and interpreting and applying uh, a gospel like the book of Luke, um, is, is realizing that not everything we read is prescriptive for us. So, uh, what I mean by that, uh, you, you know, a prescription, a doctor gives you a prescription, it's telling you, you should do this. You take these so many times a day for so long. He's prescribing something for you to do. Not everything we read in the book of Luke is prescribing things for every Christian throughout all time to do. Not everything is setting an example of what it is we should be doing. Uh, rather, what Luke is doing as he's writing his gospel is he's telling us a story of something that took place, uh, something that happened years ago, uh, something that's a true story, and he's, he's, he's compiling all of this information for us that we might believe the gospel, that we might believe in Jesus Christ. This whole book uh, calls us to faith in Christ and calls us to be confident of our faith in Christ. So I refer to this lots because I think it's important to keep in mind, but the very opening verses of the book of Luke where he says he's writing this book, he's compiling this information, he's done his research, it's an orderly account, writing to Theophilus so that he might be confident, he might be assured of what it is he's been taught and believed. And so that's really the, the overall point. So, so all of this combines to really drive this point home. So every time we gather, one of the things I hope we come away with when we're going through Luke is, is, is confidence in Christ and in who he is and, and reassurance in our, in our faith. And so not everything here, though, is directly, you know, just prescribing actions for us to do. So uh, as we look at Luke chapter 9 and as we look at this mission of the 12, as Jesus sends them out, um, it's not something that's directly given to us. So we, we don't just want to insert ourselves into the place of the 12 and just assume that everything he says is exactly to us. So, so Jesus is going to send them out in a, with authority and that we should, we should not assume that, well, therefore, he sends out with, us out with the exact same authority, with the exact same instructions. He says not to take money, so if we ever go out, we shouldn't take money. Uh, and, and he says to stay here and only there at this house if they take you in. And if they don't, take your shoe sandals off, wipe the dust off your and, and just assume that that's prescribing for us every, you know, every time we step out to tell people about Christ. So it's not, it, it, had, a, it had a limited mandate, this mission, and it was for a, a limited time. It was for these, this group of people, these, these 12 apostles. But having said that, we can see very clearly here how this foreshadows the church's later mission, the Great Commission. Uh, there's much similarity here, many parallels, and this instructs us today as to our mission as well. So the very fact that the Lord has given his church a mission, this is good news. Uh, it reveals God's compassion. It reveals his grace. Uh, he's not just left all of mankind in their sinful condition and plight. Rather, he sent Jesus Christ. And Jesus came, and he's now sending others out in this mission in, in Luke 9 here. He's sending others out to tell people that he has come. Uh, the salvation that was promised long ago from what we, even what we read in, in Luke or Isaiah 52, that was this, 
salvation that's coming, this good news that's going to be proclaimed in Israel and elsewhere to the nations. Uh, it's happening right here. Jesus has come, the Messiah has come, and now he's, he's working redemption and he's telling these men to go out and proclaim this good news. And, and, and we, as part of the church now, after the Great Commission of Matthew 28, we continue this mission uh, as well. And so this gives us, this should give us hope, encouragement. Our God is a compassionate God. Our Savior is a, a loving Savior who came to save people. And it gives us hope and encouragement not only for ourselves and our own faith, but to, as we go out and try to appeal to others, uh, that we can point to our Lord who is a saving God and who keeps His word. He's great as His faithfulness. So as we consider uh, this, I'll just invite you to, to read this with me. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So as we consider that the Lord has given us, given his church a mission to be accomplished, the first thing we want to look at here is that the Lord has authorized the message and mission. The Lord has authorized the message and mission. So we're told in verse 1 here that Jesus called the twelve together. This is the twelve apostles uh, these men were introduced back in Luke 6, uh, 12 to 16. And if you'll recall, uh, these apostles were the ones that Jesus chose to be his sent ones. That's what apostle means. Uh, they, that is, they were chosen uh, as a special group of people who would lay the foundation of the New Testament church. That's what Ephesians 2, 20 teaches us. And they did this as they went out and they preached the gospel and as they performed signs, miracles, that uh, would, would confirm the validity of the message that they preached. And so they had a unique authority from Christ uh, for a unique role. And uh, you can go back if you want and listen to that message from Luke 6. We talked a lot more then about uh, the apostles and the role of the apostles. Um, but they were, for now we'll just say, they were a special uh, and unrepeated gift to the church where they were laying, helping lay out the foundation of the New Testament church. So Jesus is calling these men to himself here. It says he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So if you remember from the last few times, uh, the last few weeks, or at least the last few times that I've preached, um, we've just come through a section where Jesus is revealing his authority and revealing his power over uh, nature, demons, sickness, and even death, uh, where he controls and has power over all four of those things. All these things that threaten mankind, uh, and yet Jesus can rebuke all of these. He has authority over all of these things. So he's been a demonstration of his authority, and now he's giving some of that authority, some of that power, to his apostles, to these 12 men, as he sends them out. Right? He, he gave them authority over demons and to cure diseases. And so this is going to be part of their mission. And we'll see uh, more of that in just a second in verse 2. They're sent out for two things, to proclaim the kingdom and to heal people. 
There's two parts of their mission. But just notice here first, the authority for this mission is not their own. It's not based on their own uh, greatness or their own cleverness or their own godliness or their own wit or brilliant scheming or this is a great idea or whatever uh, or, or I'm, I'm just a great person so you should listen to me or whatever. Uh, this is the Lord's work that's being done. The Lord's sending them out with his message and so he's sending them out in his authority. Later uh, in, in the chapter, in verse 40 of, verse, uh, of chapter 9, I think it's verse 40, yeah, uh, in, in chapter 9, verse 40, we see the, the apostles there are unable to cast out a demon. So here we see them given authority over all demons. Uh, later in the chapter, we're going to see them, after this mission's over, not able to cast out a particular demon. So it would seem that this authority and this power he's given them in chapter 9 uh, is, is limited to this particular mission that he's sending them on. As he's going to send them out to the, uh, to the villages and towns within Galilee. He's giving them the authority and the power to do this uh, for this mission. So this isn't a once-for-all uh, authority here where uh, evermore they would just be able to uh, have this authority over every sickness and, and demon. Um, this is specifically for this mission. Um, but they would be similarly empowered again later. Uh, so, for example, in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul, the Apostle Paul there talks about how um, true apostles had power to perform signs which were authenticating their message. Uh, that was the, when, he, when he's telling them, reminding them uh, that he is a legitimate apostle, and he just reminds them that uh, the, the, the works of a true apostle, these signs and miracles, were done in your midst. So again, the, the apostles were later uh, given authority again to perform some of these miracles. And so in not, chapter 9, this is a foretaste of that. So they go out in the authority of Christ, they're given this power, and they're given this message, and it's ultimately from Christ himself. It's his authority that they're, they're using. It's similar to what we see in the Great Commission. Uh, the Great Commission, where Jesus tells his disciples this, this commission that's given to the church that continues today, that we continue to, to try to fulfill, uh, it starts with Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, go therefore and make disciples. So all authority is mine. Based on that, I'm telling you to go. You go in my authority. I am the one authorizing you to do this. Paul, in a similar vein, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, says that he's an ambassador for Christ. Right? The ambassador has no authority on his own. Uh, he, his authority comes from, the, from who he represents. And so Paul has a similar mindset the authority is Christ. Paul is the ambassador. And so just as the apostles' mission in Luke 9 was done on the authority of Christ, so too is the continuing Great Commission, the mission of the church, uh, done on the authority of Jesus Christ. And so first we see here that uh, we see the compassion of, of God. He's coming here, the Lord is coming, and he's he has not only come himself, but now he's sending these men out to proclaim this message, to cover more ground. Uh, he's sending light out into these dark places. He's, uh, this is the fulfillment of God's promise to bring salvation to his people. And, 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 so, uh, and, and now it's happening. The time has been fulfilled. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come. They're going to go proclaim this. 
What we read in Isaiah 52 is coming true. The grace and compassion of the Lord is on display. And so if you've believed in the Lord Jesus, you've turned from your sin, then you've believed a message that comes from heaven. It's authorized from heaven. That's that's the message that you've believed. And so this is not just some, you know, you know, good idea that people have cooked up. Uh, if what Luke is saying is true, and if these scriptures are reliable, and we believe they are, this message is from God. This message is from the Lord Himself. It comes with His authority. Further, since this message is from the Lord Himself. Uh, Let's not be ashamed of this message. Let's not be ashamed of the message that we have to proclaim, our mission. We're called to make disciples. And all that that, all that, that entails, uh, evangelizing, baptizing, ongoing instruction and exhortation, uh, this is done with the authority of Christ himself. And so let's take courage in that mandate. It's, it's from Christ. It's from the Lord. It's his mission. And so as we go... We proclaim not ourselves, we proclaim Christ and we do this on his authority. As we summon the courage to speak to somebody about this, we don't do this because we're clever and because we have all the great arguments. We do this because we come in the name of the Lord and it's his message. And so we we implore you to be reconciled with God. So... The Lord has authorized the mission and the message. Secondly, the Lord has attested to the truth of this message with signs. So we see here he gave the twelve authority over demons and diseases. In verse 2 it says, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So there's two purposes they go out. To proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So first the kingdom of God, proclaiming this, this kingdom. Uh, he did, Luke does not expand here on what exactly it was that they were saying as they were proclaiming the kingdom of God, um, but we're not left clueless. Uh, we have come through eight chapters of this, and we've seen this phrase used before, the kingdom of God. Uh, we know the types of things that Jesus was teaching. Uh, we also know what the John proclaimed, that the kingdom of, of God was at hand, and he accompanied that with a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repent of your sin. The kingdom of God has come. Uh, In Mark's account of this, uh, sending out of the twelve in Mark 6, we're explicitly told that so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. So we know as they're claiming this message, part of their message was repent, uh, was that these people were sinful people who needed to turn from their sin to the Lord. The kingdom of God arriving means also that God was now again bringing to pass all that he promised in the the Old Testament, this promise of a coming king, this promise of a coming kingdom, of salvation. This is now coming. This is happening. Uh, The one who's bringing this about is here, and it's Christ Jesus. He's the one who would bring about forgiveness and the salvation. And so they go out, they preach that Jesus is the Messiah. Now I think... We know that, that the, the uh, apostles at this point, they still, uh, I do believe they are preaching Christ as the Messiah, uh, but they have a lot they still need to learn about what that means. There's a lot they did not yet understand. So uh, we know this if you just trace uh, how the story develops. Um, but uh, in, in the book of uh, Mark, for example, um, well, well, we'll see, we'll see here uh, later in chapter 9 of Luke, uh, in verse 18 to 20, 
Peter's going to confess that Jesus is the Christ. So he knows Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament. But there's a lot Peter still does not understand. And in fact, in, in Mark's account of, G, of Peter confessing Jesus is the Christ, immediately after that comes the part where Jesus says that he has to go to Jerusalem and, and die and be mistreated, and then Peter rebukes him. <laughs> so he, you are the Christ, and then he rebukes the Christ for what he says he's got to do. And so, uh, and then Jesus, the famous reply that, get behind me, Satan. Um, so, so Peter knows he's the Messiah, but there's still much he has to learn. His understanding of this still needs to mature. This is true of all of the disciples, all of the apostles at this point. Nevertheless, they do understand that Jesus is the Christ, and they do proclaim this. And of course, after the death and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, their understanding of this good news does mature as they receive the Spirit. Uh, their understanding fills out. They proclaim Jesus is the, the, the crucified, but also the risen Lord who will one day return as well. They preach this throat acts, and they preach that the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in Jesus' name. It's possible on the basis of his death and his resurrection. It's to be received by faith, they teach. And of course, this is the ongoing mission of the church, to proclaim this kingdom of God. It's at hand. It's here now. It's entered into through believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, being born again. So Jesus authorizes them and sends them out to proclaim the gospel um, and to heal. He gives them authority to heal. That is, to heal people that were oppressed by demons and who were oppressed by sickness. So what this does, as they go out and they proclaim this message, what these miracles do is they attest to the trustworthiness of the messengers and the message that they're preaching, the message they're proclaiming. If you think about it, they go out, they say, uh, Jesus is the Messiah. They start to proclaim the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand. And, and people would naturally say, why should we believe you? Why would we believe you? So when they, these ordinary men roll into these villages uh, with the authority to heal diseases and cast out demons, and they say, uh, here's this message, you need to repent, you need to, Christ has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, and then boom, they start healing sick people, that, that grabs attention, and it, and it tells people, whoa, we need to listen to these people. You know, why should we believe in you? Well, Ordinary people cannot do what I'm about to do. And they'd heal people, and it would attest to the trustworthiness of the message. And this is the proper place of miracles in Scripture, at every point in Scripture. They are wonderful displays of God's power, and often of His, of his mercy toward His people, pointing to truth that is to be believed. They're not just wonderful displays of God's power just for the sake of it uh, or just for the comfort of the person, but they're pointing to something to be believed, validating God's messengers and the message that they're bringing, revealing God's greatness. Throughout the Bible, this is the purpose of the miracles. One example, David. Uh, this boy takes down, this, takes down Goliath, this mighty, uh, powerful warrior. And there's an absurdity to this story. And the purpose of it is that all the earth might know that the Lord is God. That's the purpose of it. This miracle points to some truth about God that is to be believed by people. It's an evangelistic miracle. And so the Lord, in his wisdom, gave miraculous gifts to attest to the truthfulness of the gospel message. 
He did that on this occasion as he sent these 12 out, and he did this on other occasions. So we'll see this again in chapter 10, where he sends out the 72. It's very similar, but more people are sent out. He gives them similar authority on that for that mission. And again, he'll give this to his apostles and to some others uh, after the Lord ascends to the Father's right hand. And so the, again, these were miracles that attested to the truth of what these men were preaching. Again, 2 Corinthians 12, these were signs of a true apostle. So again, we, sometimes we read the Bible and we think the miracles are just everywhere. They're so commonplace throughout all of history. And, they, and then we look around now, we don't see it all the time. And we just think, woe is us. And there's something lacking in our experience of God. Um, but that's not true. The, the Bible does have a lot of miracles, but for the vast majority of history, there haven't been uh, supernatural occurrences, but rather just a lot of very ordinary uh, things, God being faithful in ordinary ways. What we do see are a spike in miracles um, during, typically during crucial periods of redemptive history. So, for example... If you think of the Exodus, um, God is redeeming his people Israel out of Egypt after 400 years of just uh, living in Egypt, ordinariness, uh, they were even slaves, and, and now he sends Moses, and how are they going to believe Moses? Why is Pharaoh going to listen to Moses? Why should I let you go worship the Lord? And the Lord puts his power and greatness on display so that his people might believe in him, so that Pharaoh will acknowledge the Lord and let his, let his people go. And again, throughout the, the time in the wilderness, uh, as he's, you know, uh, you want to grumble against Moses? How, why should we trust, you know, you're his great messenger. Why should we, you know, uh, trust you? Well, the Lord's going to validate his messenger, Moses, and he's just going to open the ground and swallow up those who grumble against Moses and then close the ground up again. It's a miraculous occurrence that's validating the messenger and the message that Moses had. What he was speaking was the truth of God. It's the same in the lifetime of Elijah and Elisha. These miracles are in contrast to Baal. It's, it's setting up the fact that the Lord is God, not Baal. Israel has fallen into worship of Baal. And the whole episode on Mount Carmel is not just to give us a great children's story of this uh, water-covered altar of wood being uh, lit up by the heavens and bursting into flames. Uh, it's not just a good story that's neat or encouraging to people, but it's to show them that Yahweh is God, not Baal. The Lord is God. And they should quit limping between the two and worship God. That's the, the message behind that miracle. And so these signs were again active during the ministry of Christ as he came and, and, and brought about the next phase of redemptive history. Dying on the cross, rising from the dead, ushering in the new covenant. And as his apostles went out to proclaim this message, he likewise authorized them with his authority to perform some of these signs that pointed to the truth of his message. So, these signs, they've been witnessed by people, and they've been attested to, they've been searched out, and it's been recorded for us in Scripture, in these reliable historical documents that have been preserved and passed down for us. 
that these documents that were recognized very early on in the church's life, not just randomly picked later in the church's existence, but early on recognized as coming from, ultimately from the apostles and these eyewitnesses of what went on. And so we read these eyewitness testimonies. We read Luke who sought to, to put this all together for Theophilus. And though we don't witness these signs, these miracles with our own eyes, we have this eyewitness testimony passed down to us, and it's that which we believe. Christianity uh, is a religion that's based on historical things that actually happened. If you consider that, it's not just, a, a, it's not just ideas like a lot of religions that are just sort of, um, you know, ideas uh, about how to think or how to act or whatever. Uh, the, the tr Christianity rides on historical realities that Jesus really did come, that he really did die on the cross, he really did rise from the dead, that people really did witness these things. They saw his life, they saw his miracles, and they, they preached his message and likewise did miracles, these apostles, and these things were seen by many people. Uh, this message spread like wildfire while many eyewitnesses were still alive and could have debunked it, but didn't and couldn't because they happened. And this has been passed on now to us. And they're written down so that others might have certainty. That's what Luke's doing here. And so we are those who, is, who believe through their word, as Jesus says in John 17. So just as the Lord confirmed the message by giving the apostles this authority here in, in chapter 9 to perform miracles, uh, so he did the same later on as well, as they went out to preach the gospel in its fullness after Pentecost. And what we do as later disciples, many years after the apostles have gone, is we point people to the testimony that's been left behind of what occurred. We're saying this is a reliable account of what happened. And so put your faith in what is here. This is why it is our authority. We don't need to and we should not try to concoct some sort of miracle to try to validate what we're saying. That's already happened. The, mess the messenger came. Jesus came. He authenticated his message with signs that point to his trustworthiness. The same with the apostles. And it's been recorded for us and kept here in scripture and preserved through time. And so it is to this that we turn. In 2 Peter 1, a uh, very interesting um, chapter, very interesting passage, he, uh, he says that he was an eyewitness of the voice that came out of heaven, declaring Jesus to be his son. So at the transfiguration, which we'll get to in a couple weeks, um, the, the, uh, Peter heard the voice of God from heaven declare Jesus to be his son. Okay, that is, that is a very unique uh, moment. That is, that is a miracle. That's amazing. And, and Peter says he's an eyewitness of this majesty. And he heard the voice. But amazingly, he then says that the word of God is actually more trustworthy than that even. That's astonishing. Uh, he heard it with his own ears, but he's saying even more reliable than that is the word of God what is recorded for us in the words of Scripture. So we don't, sometimes we think, if only I could have seen these things. And yet, Peter says, you've got it. We've got it recorded for us here. 
quite all right. <laughs> also a good passage. <laughs> so Peter is indicating that even more than these eyewitnesses, we don't need to be eyewitnesses. We've got the word of God, and, he's, and he directs us to put our faith here. And so, again, root yourself and root your faith in the scriptures. Trust it as the very word of God. This is what Peter's saying. This didn't come from, you know, randomly made up stuff or whatever. We were eyewitnesses, and yet this is more authoritative than even just hearing something with his own ears. And so it's, use it as your authority for everything. Uh, it's to be our authority in this church. It's to be your authority in your life. Uh, and, and, and we're not calling anyone to just a blind faith in, uh, in just random ideas or whatever. We're appealing to the Bible as a reliable authority, which in turn tells us of the person of Christ and his work of redemption. And he, and he proved it. He grabbed people's attention with his signs with his miracles he authenticated what he was saying he proved who he was we've been looking at that the last few weeks in chapter 8 through these miracles he's pointing to his authority to his trustworthiness that he's worthy for us to place our faith in him <clears throat> thirdly the lord will provide for the needs of those fulfilling his mission the lord will provide for the needs of those fulfilling his mission um, verse 3 and he said to them Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag. So bag, that would be like a knapsack or like a, a bag. Well, it wasn't like a backpack that we have today, but a, a bag like that. Nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. That would be like a long undergarment. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. So in these verses, Jesus gives instructions for their travel. Uh, in verse 4, uh, instructions for their travel. They're told not to bring these, uh, these particular items with them. Uh, so no, no bread, no money, no bag, no staff. Uh, this is an example of, uh, of, of, of a command that's unique for this particular moment. Uh, this is not saying that all missionaries for all time should leave behind their money and bag and clothes and all that stuff and go out. But there is a principle uh, that, that here, um, that this taught the apostles that would be applied uh, throughout the rest of their lives. So let me explain w why I'm saying this, why I think this is not a once-for-all declaration for every missionary. Not just because that would be inconvenient, but I think it's what Scripture teaches. So Luke twenty-two thirty-five. You can flip there if you want, uh, but Luke twenty-two thirty-five. I think Jesus makes it clear that this was a temporary command designed to teach a specific lesson. So here's what he says in Luke 22, 35. And he said to them, to his disciples, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. So, as Jesus in Luke 22 is about to go to the cross, this is right before uh, he's going to be arrested and go to the cross, he prepares the apostles for the next phase of their mission. And he reminds them of the fact that when they, uh, he sent them out the previous time, that they did not lack anything. He asks them, when I sent you out with nothing, did you lack anything? And they say, 
nothing. So, so they, they learned in that moment, they learned through this uh, experience of going out in Luke 9, that the Lord would provide for them as they go out and serve him and go about their mission. But in Luke 22, he says, from now on, you're going to take that money, you're going to take your knapsack, get a sword, you're going to take these provisions. You, you, it's good to do this, it's okay to do this. So Luke 9 is not a, 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 a once-for-all command for even the apostles, let alone the rest of the church. But what it does tell us and what it does teach us is that the Lord provides for his people as they carry out his mission. That's the lesson that the apostles learned from this experience. And this remains true. That the church is to pursue Christ and his kingdom first while spreading that news to others. And we're to do this with an attitude of trust that he's going to provide for our needs. Uh, so Matthew 6.33 comes to mind. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you might worry about, all these needs that you have, all these things will be added to you. The Lord knows you need these things. He's going to take care of you. So the fact that God takes care of, of, of his people, of his messengers, um, certainly has application to anyone who wants to, who wants to go uh, into missions, be a missionary. Uh, many have headed out into the mission field, not really knowing exactly how God's going to provide for them long term. Uh, good friends of ours and neighbors of ours from Louisville, uh, who are from the American South and are as southern as southern gets, at least as far as I can tell, uh, went to China. They moved to China. And they were preparing to go to be missionaries in China when we were there. And lots of unanswered questions for them. Uh, they've got a family of young children. How are they going to be provided for exactly? How are they going to adjust? Are my kids going to be okay? There's lots of unanswered things. And yet they're you know, remaining standing on this promise that the Lord's going to take care of us as we go to try to, to, to be faithful in taking the gospel to unreached people who've never heard it. But it's not just for them. Even as a church, as we seek to fulfill Christ's commission, we trust that he'll provide for us what we need. And I would just ask, as a church, has he not done this so far for us? As a church, he's provided what we need. Now, it's true, sometimes we get bounced from our location and have to meet somewhere else on a Wednesday night. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we are provided for. We have places to meet. We have places to gather to worship the Lord together. He's provided for us. And so let us seek to continue to be faithful and trust him with whatever is around the corner and trust that he's going to provide for our needs. Finally, the Lord is to be trusted with the outcome of our labor. So as we think of the, the, this mission, uh, the Lord is to be trusted with the outcome of our labor. So read verses 4 to 6 again with me. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So verse 4 uh, is referring to those who received them and their message. Uh, this is telling the apostles they're going to rely on just good old-fashioned Jewish hospitality. Uh, wherever they go into this village and wherever they're received, um, they stay there. And I think when it says that uh, uh, whatever house you enter, I think based on, on verse 5, it implies that these people are, are, are not just receiving the man and letting them stay there, but they're receiving the message that they bring as well. And so they, they were called... These apostles were called to be content with whoever received them. 
They were to depart from there. That is, they were to go about their mission just from this house, from this location, wherever they were first received, uh, and, and until they were done in that village. They, were, they weren't to go door to door to try to improve their situation and get upgrades on their accommodation. They were to eat what was put in front of them, not try to go around and get more or better stuff. Uh, a number of commentators point to the fact that Jesus seems to be here contrasting how his apostles were to behave in this manner with how other philosophers and traveling religious hucksters uh, conducted themselves, uh, going door to door, you know, trying to improve their situation and their lot. Uh, this is not what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to stay with whoever received them and do their business from there, proclaim their message, do their healing from there. As one commentary said, modesty was the rule and ministry was the focus. So just contentment wherever you're welcomed and, and, and the focus is on the ministry. Trust God to provide. Don't make that your focus. Don't show favoritism. Just stay put once you find anyone who receives you. Then in verse 5, uh, Jesus gives them instruction on what to do if they get rejected from a village. They don't find reception there. Nobody takes them in. Uh, verse 5, wherever they do not receive you. That means not only... Uh, are, are they not receiving them, but they're not receiving their message? Ultimately, their rejection here is a rejection of Christ, the one who's authorized this mission. We come in the name of Christ, authorized on his behalf, and they say, no, it's a rejection of Christ. And I think this explains uh, this symbolic gesture that they were to do. It says they were to shake the dust off their feet as a testimony or witness against those people. This is a, a warning to these people that they've rejected the message of God and, and that this was a very grave offense. They needed to know this. And this, this act was signaling the fact that they are, they are cut off and they're just being left now for judgment. We're done. We're innocent of you. You want no part of this. We're moving on now. This is a very grave thing. On chapter 10, we're going to see a similar thing as Jesus sends out the 72, I've mentioned. Um, and there, Jesus says, if they don't receive you and they reject you, they say it would, he says it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those villages. So consider that. We think of Sodom and Gomorrah as kind of the epitome of, of wickedness and evil. And yet Jesus says it's worse for these people who reject his messengers than for Sodom and Gomorrah. So again, this is a very serious thing to reject this message. As they reject these apostles sent out in the name of Christ, they're rejecting Christ himself. So the apostles, apostles were to trust the Lord with the outcome, be content with whoever receives them, doing their work from that place, and then secondly, calmly leaving those who reject them with this symbolic gesture. Notice here, they're not to reformulate their plan. Uh, come out with a new strategy, alter the message to make it easier. Uh, they're not to change their orders in any way. They're just to do their mission as they've been commanded. They're to go with the message they've been given, do the things they've been told. If they're not received, shake the dust off your feet and carry on your way. So this was the Lord's mission. And so ultimately, he is the one who's to be trusted with the results of how this, this pans out. And in verse 6, we're told they did just this. They went through the villages of Galilee, proclaiming the, the gospel and healing everywhere. So notice 
they went out, they were instructed to proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 6, they went out and preached the gospel. Those are synonymous things. They, pre- they go out they're preaching the, the gospel, the good news. The kingdom of God has come. The Messiah is here. This is what they're preaching. And they were healing everywhere, we're told as well. Just as Christ gave the apostles a mission here and told them to trust him with the results, this same thing holds true today for us. In fact, it's, the same, it's, the, it's always been true. God's messengers are to say what he tells us to say. This was true of the prophets of old. Uh, they heard directly from the Lord, and they were to say, thus says the Lord, and then tell people what the Lord said, and no more, and no less. Just what the Lord said to say. They go out with that message. Even if it wasn't favorable, they were to trust the, the, the results to the Lord. And we see many times the prophets were not listened to and were scorned. Consider Jeremiah, for example, um, abused routinely and regularly. He just, but he was to preach this message and trust the Lord with the results. Some faithful messengers have been well received and others have been not listened to. It's true in the Bible. It's been through, tr- true throughout all of church history. Uh, you, you, if you know the name George Whitfield, uh, that name's synonymous with uh, fruitful ministry, uh, with the Great Awakening, where many, many people in England and in America believed the gospel and got saved. We think of it as, as just wonderful uh, ministry and, and fruit, and we just think what, what it wouldn't be like to be him. Um, and yet that man also, while great fruit was, uh, went along with his ministry, and many saved, so did great persecution. Uh, he had, he, when he would preach outdoors, sometimes men would surround him to keep people from getting at him. Stuff was thrown at him, dead animals. Uh, he was in danger regularly. One of his, uh, Howell Harris, who was a contemporary who preached mainly in Wales, um, he just kind of casually in his journal recounts one incident where a mob was pressing in and want, somebody fired a pistol at him, um, but, he, but he was all right, everyone was okay, and he just moves on, just like, what? And uh, he, he, much fruit in his ministry, and yet much opposition as well. And so again, these men, throughout history, even in the scriptures, we, we proclaim the message we've been given to proclaim, and we trust the Lord with the results. Some people will believe it, and will repent and turn to the Lord, and there'll be a, an aroma of life, and for others, they'll scorn the message, and they'll despise the messengers, and ultimately Christ himself. So let us continue to hold forth the good news to people here and everywhere, that there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name for all who repent and place their faith in him, the faith in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. Continue to preach that the kingdom of God has come, that the king will return in glory one day to dwell forever with his people, those who believed in him in the new earth, and to execute his judgment on his enemies. Our mission and message is authorized by Christ. He is attested to this with signs. These accounts have been preserved to us by eyewitnesses and and passed down to us and preserved in the scriptures. We proceed with this mission knowing that as he always has, the Lord will provide for his laborers and that he is to be trusted with the results. Our God is a merciful and gracious God that he would send a rescue mission. And so may we ourselves find comfort in this rescue, ourselves resting in it, trusting in Christ. And may we find also great courage 
and strength in carrying forth his gospel, this great commission, as we proclaim it to one another and encourage each other here, and as we go outside of these doors as well and try to proclaim it to our neighbors and to anyone who will hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word again. Father, we're so thankful that you kept your word, that as you promised, you would send about a Savior, as you promised that you would draw many to yourself, that you would bring about your kingdom. You have indeed sent your Son, Jesus. And we're so grateful that this message of grace has gone out throughout the earth and that we, even here, have heard the message and have believed it. We're thankful for your grace and your mercy. I pray that we would trust you, that we would trust your word that's been passed down, that we would see it as what it is, your word. Father, as we attempt, even in our feebleness and weakness, to share this with other people, I pray that you would open eyes and ears to the truth of this. That, Father, this word would find reception in, in good soil all around us. That you would add many to your flock here. And, Father, would, that we would just be eager to receive any and all who would believe this message. Father, strengthen us now in the, in the wonderful news of your grace and mercy to us in Christ Jesus. Strengthen us for the week ahead. Father, help us to, to just trust your word. And, Father, we're weak and we need your help in this. And we just give you praise for preserving us and keeping us and for being good. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.